From TMP to TTNG For sure the cure and those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive. Mineral snowing high tide hotel here and more. Rio Limo only consists of the DC emotive hardcore. episode 54 of the e-word podcast our summer break is done this is kyle recording here in madison wisconsin i'm joined by ellie ellie it's great to hear you you're in is it north of austin texas at this point no i i am at like the very like tippy top of of austin like it's definitely still austin okay and I used to live like on the very like southernmost tip of Austin, like right before it starts to turn into like random small towns. Um, I gotta say, yeah, it feels good to be back in the saddle again. Feels good to feels good to hear your voice, Kyle. I missed you. It's really good to hear your voice, Hinder, lips of an angel. <laughs> um, yeah, so we took the summer off, basically in solidarity of protests, and we promised when we'd be back, we'd have the conversation. Uh, focused around how does DIY move forward now that we've witnessed all this racial injustice and now that we're all like awakened to it. Um, so that's what this episode is. Um, we should say that the next episode will be kind of a catch up and like back to normal what the E word was doing. We have a we have a great guest for this one. We have Gregory who operates Solidarity Club Records. Gregory, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you all for having me. Been a big fan of this podcast for a while and was really honored that you, uh, you all reached out to me. So thank you again. Yeah, of course. Of course. You were like top of the list in my mind. Oh, thank you. <laughs> because our episodes historically run so fucking long, Gregory, would you like to tell us about the record label, make some plugs, etc.? cetera? Um, I know that y'all put out uh, that Morning Light tape, which has been a really hot one right now, right? Uh, yeah, honestly, uh, yeah, Miles, who who is, is Morning Light, really, really lit a fire under me again. Because I'll be honest, y'all, I was really, uh, I was almost about to stop this. I've been feeling, I was feeling a little burned out, and then you know, then all, then Corona happened, and all this, the protests happened, and I met Miles on Twitter, and I really like like to like like his music, and you know, with everything going on, I've been, we've been, I feel like a lot of black uh, artists in like the alternative scene have been reaching out to each other. And um, so we did. And I, I was like, let's put your record out. And he was like, yeah, 
and we did, and he has been the best-selling artist on the label thus far, hmm. bar none, like absolute bar none. And now I feel like uh, fire under me again to do this, which is which has been cool because I was going through a little bit of a crisis because yeah, you know, I'm a little I'm a little older. I've been wanting I'm thirty almost thirty two, and I remember starting a little MySpace label when I was uh, <laughs> when I was sixteen with this kid I met at the Jersey Shore. So to be able to like actually kind of somewhat do it for real now is really nice. And then being able to do this now with like other black people in the scene, which when I was in high school, you know, I, I, I was the only black person in the bands playing in our town. So it's cool. Oh, yeah. And we're uh, we're really glad that the label is still with us because y'all do great work. And also, I just really generally like your uh, your Twitter presence. It makes me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. I've been enjoying Twitter again. I had a Twitter like a long time ago, and I stopped using it. And then I got it again when I did this record label. And it's been fun. Twitter's way different than it was in 2009. It was like only comedians. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't know. People are definitely rude. Way rude. I mean, they're rude now, but like, I don't know. I guess, I, I guess a lot of people from Tumblr went to Twitter, right? After that whole yeah, buckle. yeah, yeah. I remember among my wasteland of old social media accounts, I definitely tried to be like a one-liner Twitter comedian in like 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, and uh, we've only been doing this label for like a yearish, and my partner uh, Diana, who's also in um, the band Rat Fancy with me, um, helps run this label too. And uh, there's a there's another act, nail polish, right? Yeah, that's our um, that's our other little project that I guess we're focusing a little bit more on, especially because it's hard to get bands together. But it's been fun, um, and and she's been you know a great inspiration, and she's very talented as well. And she does like all the design and like everything for the websites, and she's just an amazing person. And I'm really uh, blessed to have her. It's the stellar relationship content that I love to hear. <laughs> Anything else before we jump into this uh, heavy episode? I'll just do one more plug again. I just like listen yeah. to everyone on Solidarity Club. Um, I love every record we've put out. They're all a great bunch of people on that label, and uh, there'll be a lot more, a lot more soon. More than those tapes are coming out. So it seems like uh, these like DIY labels are kind of they kind of like range and like actually keeping stuff in stock these days, like. Like, you'll see, like, a label with, like, some hot bands, but, like, everything will just be, like, a wasteland. There's, like, nothing available and stuff like that. And I feel like Solidarity Club is definitely not uh, doing that. You, it seems like it's way more professionally run and stuff. Well, yeah, I, I just want to, you know, make sure we're, we're putting our best foot forward most of the time. And, and people, you know, they judge you the first time they look at your stuff, you exactly. know. Exactly. Um, first impressions are everything. And, you know, I hate it when my, my dad would say that to me when I was a kid. And now I totally feel it because I do the same kind of thing. But really, this, this label is definitely about the band. I don't do anything without consulting any band first. Mm -hmm. um, as of right now, there's no contracts or anything. We run pretty much everything 50-50. As of right now, I just do pressings of 50 tapes. I keep 25. I send another 25 to um, the band. They do whatever they want with those tapes. And then I don't want any money from them or anything. I've only done one artist digitally, um, and that was just because they didn't really want to bother with it at all. They're like they're a professor in France, so they don't, I don't think they really care about that. <laughs> um, with the digital thing, I don't know. It, it's so easy to put your stuff up on Spotify yourself, and I don't think that a label needs to take 
any bit of money of that. Right. You don't need the fucking dime that you would have gotten from Spotify. Yeah, Spotify. I mean, unless they somehow get like 32 million plays, you know, but the chances of that happen, it's, it's their money. They should have it. So SolidarityClubRecords.com. That's where everything's at. Well, all right. The topic, as we promised, how does DIY move forward? DIY has always aligned itself to be this welcoming, inclusive, and non-conforming sort of utopia that nothing else besides it exists in. But do you think that the DIY scene that we are a part of today has been anti-racist, kind of leading up to what's happening this summer? Before all this started happening? Yeah. Yeah. Whew. That's the question. Um, I think white supremacy is so entrenched in our culture that people are racist without even realizing they're being racist and excluding people without realizing it, um, which is a horrible thing. I think, so for instance, I'll I'll just go go over some stuff that's happened, some experience I've had in my younger years playing in a band and then maybe transport that to how how things are experienced now that I'm older. Um, I used to play in a pop punk band in late 2009, 10. So it was kind of like an easy core band. Me and the other guitarists were black. And here, you know, this is my answer to your question, is was rare in that scene, which at the time, I guess, when I was 16, I, I guess I acted like it didn't bother me, but it started to bother me when we were getting called the N-word on stage. But I had some defenders with that. But I think there's some people who are trying actively to be anti-racist and there's other people who just like music and just want to play and are bros and don't care. Definitely back then it was more bros. Now I do feel like the conversation is happening and I am seeing more different kinds of people in this alternative scene um, being being, uh, repped more. And that was the issue. They've always been there. Even if we didn't see them, we've always been there. Um, The issue is Mm -hmm. visibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I guess, you know, this social media has definitely given us the ability to, like, push it harder as opposed to when I was playing in those bands and, you know, we had MySpace. And I felt like I was rambling. I don't know if that answered your question. I think the onstage anecdote, which was horrible, kind of said it all. Even, like, me coming at it from, like, a, a fairly privileged white perspective, um, you know, I in the Las Vegas hardcore scene and the broader DIY scene, there was a lot of racial diversity. And I think instead of strengthening solidarity, it gave a lot of people the feeling like they had license to play around with shit they shouldn't play around with, like white kids yelling the N-word at shows and then yeah. getting their ass beat. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that my, my experience, I, I was obviously like not as up close and personal with it, but... Right. Like, like, if I was noticing this shit, of course, that uh, it, it was really prevalent. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, the way you say that, that actually reminds me of my high school. I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and I went to North Center High School. And for anyone who doesn't know that, uh, in that, like, suburb of, like, Montgomery County area, that is where a lot of black people live. So my school was very, very mixed that attitude exactly is prevalent in a lot of kids who go to that school. How could I be racist? What do you mean? Like, I hung out with tons of black people. Oh, my black friend, like I can say, I can say the N word, like that's cool. My, my one friend doesn't care, you know? So I definitely feel you on that. I, I definitely know that kind of attitude and like 
mixed scenes and it, it can be like that and i don't know why that why that happens i think it there there was like a there was a big pop cultural shift uh in the late 2000s and early 2010s uh kind of against i don't want to say political correctness because that term is like really cliche but that's that's really what it was and so the thing was to to be cool you had to be edgy and taboo and hope that like your actions of being friends with uh people of other races would like excuse the things that you say um and yeah very wow. South Park era. Yeah, it's like Ooh. what you saw in South Park was what you would say at school the next day, and as fucked up as that was. Yeah, I think I was around 23, I think, when South Park really started, like, going hard on that, like, libertarian bullshit. And I would, I just remember on Reddit all the time, all the kids, like, you know, quoting South Park like it was gospel. And I remember just thinking, when I was a kid, South Park was, just, like, a stupid-ass show that, like, we laughed at because, like, there were cartoons that were cursing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did that become like someone's lesson? It's insane. And one of like the worst examples I think is the the Harley Rider episode oh, where God. for anyone who hasn't seen the episode I'm talking about, like the the gist of it is uh the kids decide they want to call uh bikers fags. The 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 general crust of the like the general crux of the argument is oh, but we're not using it to describe gay people. We're using it to describe this other very specific group of people. Who, the the sexuality does not concern us. And people kind of like extended that logic to a lot of other shitty language. Because when you're like 13, 14, that type of all or nothing approach to free speech is very appealing, I think. Oh, yeah. Just like, oh, there's a difference between like N-words and black people. Oh my god! Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that shit. Are like, oh, you're, you're you're not like, you don't act black. I grew up in the Midwest, and I think like Chris Rock has a joke about that. And like, That's I remember bad. like my friend's dad would be like, I I agree with what Chris Rock said. Like, I don't hate black people. I hate n word. And I was just yeah. like, you're a fucking oh adult god. saying this to a teenager. Wild, wild stuff, man. Wild, like racism knows no bounds my friends and adults will say the wildest things yeah. to kids. For example, my little brother is where he's biracial and he looks a little more white. So people have said very fucked up things to him. He's, he has one moment. I will never forget this. He told me he went to this kid. We know who is a racist, like 100%. Like I don't associate, we don't associate with that person anymore. He went to this kid's uncle's house and this, un- this guy looks at my brother and says, and goes, what, what are you, Jewish? <laughs> and my brother, we're not, we're not. Like, I don't, don't it's, anyway, uh, he, and my brother goes, what? No? And he's like, oh, yeah, good. Yeah, if you would have been, I would have picked you up and mopped the floor with you. Blah, 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 blah. And my brother's just sitting there like, oh, my gosh. If he finds out I'm black. So, like, yeah. Adults will say yeah. the wildest shit to the kids. They don't care. I mean, adults are just dumbass kids, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so kind of following up with that leading question, I, like, I think most people listening to our podcast are here because they like emo. And I think emo in the most recent few years has had more people of color representation. But, like, I still think that, like, the whole culture of emo is extremely whitewashed. And do y'all think so? 
And this is not, I love email. I wouldn't be on this podcast. Didn't. Um, Shout out to the ground is lava, by the way. Right. Uh, Those are my, those are my boys. And that is one of the best black, like, you know, one of the best emo bands like that ever existed. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a genre about whining about, you know, very about problems that most people have, you know? So it's going to be like that. Not to say I don't like, you know, we all, that's why it's good. We all have these problems. So sometimes we want to listen to a song that like, you know, we all want to feel like a little self pity sometimes. But I think when you have a genre that's just like seriously focused on that, it's like a very about the very suburban experience, like a band like Real Friends or something, you know, like really pushing that. It's very exclusionary. Like that makes me very like not want to listen to them, especially repping like Chicago suburbs. But that's a whole other story. Oh, they're from like they're Tinley Park, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Can DIY or can emo do anything to not just cater to, you know, the sad boy stereotype of being like a sad white person? I mean, yes. I, like if we're talking about like emo only being like, is it still emo if it's like twinkly guitars and the, the, the lyrical content is like about something completely different than what you would hear normally here? I think so. It sounds better. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I think the interesting thing about emo's history as like this this whitewash genre is came from DC, which has like a majority black population. Yeah. And all all these kids were directly inspired by Bad Brains. Mm. And there were also bands in the scene that had black members like Scream. And yet the initial emo scene just seemed so cloistered off and white. And a lot of the kids were like, you know, politicians, children and right. uh, Ian Mackay's dad is a minister, I think. And even though they had like their heart in the right place, um, like Thomas Squip from Beefeater was very anti-apartheid, huge like activist in that realm. It was very much white people complaining to other white people. And as it spread into uh, the, the Midwest and the Bay Area and Annapolis, et cetera, it, it just kind of was one of those genres, like you said, that dealt with very suburban issues. And so lots of kids from the suburbs picked up on it. And I think the, the recent turn towards uh, more positive representation has a lot to do with uh, the democratization of the Internet and... It's a lot easier uh, for marginalized people who in previous generations wouldn't have had access to the Internet to have access to the Internet and make their voice heard and discover other things that uh, they may not have been uh, exposed to before. So roundabout, this just comes down to the more people being on the Internet and being in the scene is good. And the more that happens, uh, I think there is going to be more of a trend towards uh DIY being representative of non-specifically white interests. Um, but there's definitely more that we could do in making that implicit, slow-burning change more explicit and revolutionary. Oh, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, like the music industry is all about money still. And they're going to put out what they think is going to sell. So, yeah. you know, we can do this ourselves. And that, that's DIY, right? <laughs> um, but you can make people notice. Look at Bartiz. Yeah. Like, he's out there doing doing the damn thing and, like, making noise, like, doing all this shit. And, like, 
and if we can all like support each other and we have the internet like we can, you can do numbers on the internet and yeah exactly and maybe hopefully in 10 more years it's going to be even different because let me tell you right now it looks way different now than it did in 2010 and i am like yeah very happy about it it's still not the best but and it also depends where you live honestly um, yeah that's that's a big part of it too <laughs> Like I said, where I, you know, the suburb I grew up in, Norristown, was not like a completely white suburb. So that's why my band had more people of color in it uh, and fans of it, too. But then, like, we would go out in other places in Pennsylvania and play, you know, and it's just like only white people. Um, so I think just where you live can determine how many, like, how your scene is going to fester and everything like that. And I'm in LA right now. So, of course, like, there's like everybody. But, like, you know, the Midwest, the Midwest scares me. I've never toured the Midwest. And I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm not out here being like, everyone from the Midwest is racist, blah, 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 blah. But, like, the chance, I don't know, the chance of I something mean, happening. Like, uh, like a, a soul glow situation. Like, yeah. I smoke a shitload of weed. I'm 100% going to have weed on me. And, like, like we almost got arrested in Austin. Um, yeah. Not Austin. We were in El Paso. We were on the way to Austin. Oh. Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, the, the police in Austin have very, very deep problems uh, but El Paso is like a, a whole fucking different world. Like if yeah. you're from El Paso and you have any alternative interests or you are anything other than the the default, you would leave El Paso. <laughs> we stopped yeah, after that whole situation. They let us go. I don't know how they did it, y'all, but we we got out of there somehow. And I remember stopping at some like very weird like chain mall-ish type place for like some weird Tex-Mex that wasn't very good. <laughs> Austin's awesome. I love Austin. That place is great. I watched a video on Mike Seatone from uh, Dead End Hip Hop. He has his own channel, and he was telling this story because he was in bands that were like that was just like made up of all black members, and they were running out of gas in like Alabama, and Ooh. literally filled up and like darted out of the gas station because people were charging them. Oh my gosh! Oh, shit. Yeah, it's wow. it's it's crazy how like these stereotypes of like the racist South are like literally like threaten people's lives. The, the sundown towns, y'all. Like, I mean, on our last Rat Fancy tour, uh, I remember being in Milledgeville, Georgia, and I went. We were just oh yeah, we had some buddies who lived there. Uh, the people who run Happy Happy Birthday to Me Records, who Rat Fancy is on, and we were in this like I guess thrift, thrift store type place. Soon as you walk in, like as soon as you walk in, they had like a bunch of Trump stuff for sale and like Confederate flags and like a bunch of old Republican like pins from like old elections. And the owner just looked at me like, get the fuck out. I still bought, I bought a, what did I buy? I bought like a dollar pair of glasses. I just just looked that man right in the eye and would not like stop. And was just like, yes, sir. How are you? Uh, fuck that dude. <laughs> fuck that dude. Uh, yeah, I, I felt very, I did, I don't know, I guess I was a little tipsy and I was, I felt I was feeling a little brave, but that shit is a sketch. I couldn't imagine like, oh God, like being in a band in like the 60s. Right. Tour, and like sleeping in like mortuaries and shit because like you can't sleep, get a hotel room. Because, yeah. I don't know where to go, but yeah. Back to yeah, but back to my thought. I was yeah, where you where you from? I think really determine can determine a lot of what you're exposed to and who you're exposed to. Yeah, 
back on this, like, how can DIY not just cater to white people? Do you think a lot of fringe emo bands and maybe that that have a lot of non-white representation, do you think that's why, like, emo is kind of spreading its wings into just, like, power pop and, like, synth and all this other shit because it is a more rich representation? That, uh, I have noticed that, like, yeah, emo is, like, I don't know what what has been like the newest emo record that's come out recently that sounds like emo, you know? Right. Uh, the Guitar Fight record. Yeah, kind probably. of. Yeah, yeah. That record was really good. Fucking insanely good. Um, I mean, I'm here for like the experimentation, and like and that's one of the reasons we started Nail Polish. Um, also, because I've been listening to a lot of emo trap shit. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. We and I used to make like trap music before and like dubstep and stuff and but i think like that is a definitely a way to try to like bring more people in the scene as you like put more sounds in yeah and i think like a, a big reason that is and especially why bands with uh members who are people of color tend to be more musically experimental is if your band is just white kids and you are influenced specifically by just previous white kid bands and it's just like this uh, this big circular loop of very narrow influences. Like the the sound is going to get so homogenized so quickly, and um, people who you know grew up listening to all sorts of different types of music who didn't uh, cling to this one genre because it was like the only identity that they felt that they could claim. That that's almost immediately going to broaden anyone's sonic palette. God, that's so that just reminds me of being like sixteen, like on oh, emo. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like yeah, you, you have to. I don't know. I couldn't. You know, I was into tons of music before I even got into emo. Um, I remember if y'all want to hear the first the first music video I ever saw that made me like get into music. I was I was chilling, while you know before like third grade, and then Shania Twain song you're still the one came on and i sat there and i was like okay and then Aaliyah came on next oh that's so sick are you that <laughs> are you that somebody was the next video on and i was like yes this music thing i like <laughs> i like it so my first like influence is the music and then i got into like usher and like destiny's child was like a lot of r&b and then of course i went to the route of like corn and like new metal right happen but like i still always loved r&b and like you know i got into i got into j-rock next like visual k music and then emo so like i don't know and hip-hop it just every you should everyone should listen to a lot of things i think uh, it's very dumb to stick with one genre of music your whole life i've seen people do that and it's yeah yeah i'm i'm really glad the kids these days are learning that it's okay to be genre agnostic <laughs> <laughs> i like that term yeah, I mean, and I know how that can, like, not, when I was young, like, especially when I was, like, in middle school, I definitely had an aversion. That's when I started having an aversion to, like, listening to rap. I think, like, Nelly was popular at the time. But, you know, and I, this is, I think, what happens to a lot of kids. It reminded me of the kids that bullied me. So I think there's definitely some people who are like that, who are like, oh, especially if, they were, if you're around my age. And that was the popular music at the time. So, like, a lot of the bullies listen to that stuff. So, like... You know, I was called a headbanger because I like Slipknot and like fucked with them. It took me a couple more years to like get in to try to get back into that because of that reason, which is so dumb. 
but kids are kids, you know. Okay, so this is a topic that I wanted to dig into a lot because I think it's currently happening. And basically, uh, how do we address the tokenism that is going to happen slash is already happening? I think most of these scenes, like we just talked about, have very few bands with people of color. And now that we are having all these efforts to be inclusive and that's like an expectation, like those few bands from those little scenes with people of color are going to be asked to play every show now and like how do we go about that because i mean i don't think anyone wants to be tokenized no um i can tell you how you cannot go about it uh you cannot be like a certain record label a certain pop punk record emo record label that goes on twitter and literally asks what (laughs) bands are people of color in (laughs) that's not the way to go about it whatsoever yeah i mean people are going to be I, I i that was a fear i i've discussed that with other black musicians in the scene too who are getting offers out of nowhere um i mean get the bag obviously um, <laughs> yeah protect yourself i mean if you want to be if they want to tokenize you ask for way more money fuck <laughs> it right i mean the way to not be tokenized is to have more than one right yeah yeah that's just it I, I mean, I, you know you know, sometimes I, it's funny. I made this joke with with others. I don't know if you all ever seen the movie, um, not another team movie. Oh yeah, where yeah, yeah. at the party and he goes, "What's up, man? What?" It's like I'm supposed to be the only black person at this party. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we got to get away from that kind of attitude. And it's more like let's just we should. I don't know. I don't have I don't have a lot of the answers. So I try to think about this all the time. And then I don't know white people are gonna are gonna white people. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I saw Alternative Press put out, like, here's 30 uh, bands that have people of color, and, like, Kanaoshi was on there, and they were like, fuck you, take us off this list, and shit like this, because, yeah. like, Alt Press does not cover, no, does not cover bands that aren't full of white people. No, 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 absolutely not. They did cover... Uh, a biracial person a bunch in the mid-2000s mr pete wens <laughs> who i wish would rep that more y'all if i would have known pete wens was biracial in 2005 things would have been a lot different so that's another thing i feel like a lot of people maybe feel i don't know they don't want to push that shit right because it's not good for sales i don't know fuck man it's depressing it's so. a, it certainly is a catch-22 because like if I'm booking a show in my city, there's very little non-white representation here. So, like, I would certainly have to hit up the one band and to have a bill that's not just white people. And it's just, yeah. like, I don't want to put them through that labor. Everyone's going to hit them up once. It's just it's just very sticky. And then now, like, I don't know. I, I You all said you like my Twitter presence. Um like, I went to the tweet, I was like, you know, if there's only white people this thing, I'm not going. Like, because I've just seen all this stuff now. This media is like, these people being, like, murdered at parties and, like, things going down. And then, like, the only black person there, like, ended up dead. I feel you, like, not wanting to ask them, like, because it's, it's super sketch being the only one. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes, if you, but, you know, I feel really strong about representation. So, like, Sometimes if I have to be the only one and someone needs to hear it, you know, I don't know. It's a sticky situation. You're right. Yeah. And like this certainly goes into press and labels and 
the entire entertainment industry, which is going to go into like their hiring process now, like all of a sudden these offices of major labels aren't going to be white people, which is a good thing. Yeah. One of, one of the things I see a lot on Twitter and Facebook is just these, these kids who are like, give me a list of like that record label that, that you mentioned that we shall not speak its name. Um, the just give me lists of of bands with poc in them and they treat it like homework and then they yeah. like yeah. Fi- they they file these bands away into oh this is my this is my folder of poc bands the that i listen to when i want to feel like i have diverse music taste instead and of like those is the, you, no you're right and like that label the next signee they announced was another all-white band. And it's just like, <laughs> they don't actually give a fuck, like, whatsoever. And that was just, like, very, that was, oh, that really made me so mad. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on about what you were saying. Or was that kids who treat it like homework and mm-hmm. mentally file this thing in the in this folder? But what they're doing is... Uh, it's inadvertent, but what they're doing is they're seeing it as like a completely different scene that is like complementary or like uh, like optional reading material for the class, um, and that doesn't that 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 doesn't actually help with making the scene itself more diverse. All it accomplishes is uh, putting all all these vibrant, interesting bands that would add a lot to any bill um, are all going to be like playing with each other and associated with each other, like based on nothing more than, than skin color. It's just the othering again, you know? Yeah. How how it always goes. Like, Oh, they're the black bands. No, it's the female fronted band. Yeah. Oh man. Like what the fuck? Like, I remember we did, um, we were at South by, we were walking down the street and this, this woman tried to stop us, uh, Diana and I, trying to promote this like all woman rock show. And it was like that kind of energy, you know? <laughs> and then we were just like, oh no thanks. And she, I shit you not y'all, was like, what? You don't want to support chick rock? Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> oh my God. Diana told her, shut the fuck up. That was pretty funny. And like, I just, I just couldn't believe that. I was like, how could like, it, it, it's like, I swear to God, if I saw if someone stopped me, it's like, oh, you want to support like these black bands? I was like, why? What? What is this? Like, with the other? I don't know. Just like, why can't we just be bands? Now that we're all cringing inside, like, um, the argument I keep seeing, specifically on like our emo, is like, I don't listen to bands based on their I- identity or their race. I I listen to them based on their good. I shouldn't or based on them because they're good, I shouldn't have to take that extra step to like qualify them. And that's such a stupid argument. It's just ignorant. I don't listen to them for the rip, but I guarantee you they only listen to all white bands. Yeah. Like guaranteed. Yeah. This is like the yeah. typical Reddit chud response. Yeah. And it's yeah. it, it's very similar in argument or like in, in logical construction to the uh, just separate the art from the artist argument. Yeah, absolutely. As if, like, That's the same the identity, person. Yeah, the identity and the viewpoints are not like 
inextricable from what the music is trying to convey. You know, I think I think that there are like nuanced arguments to be made, like in favor of separating the art from the artist. I think there's a there's a lot of like gray area in in that realm. But when people take like this colorblind approach to identity in what they consume, they're not realizing it, but it's an intentional like closing off of of things that could influence them. Exactly. Well, yeah, it's just awesome. You know, it, it goes back to like when I was younger, people saying like rap is crap. That aversion to like, even just to say like, oh, I don't, it doesn't matter about their race. It's about how good they are. Just like being like told like, they know, you know, it's just like their defense mechanism. A lot of white people hate rap, you know, because they're racist. Like I, I remember when I was in ninth, when I was in 11th grade when I went to this kid's house, their parents on their like fridge had this like uh, they printed out some like, little saying and was basically like going off about how like rap isn't music because music has a melody a harmony and a rhythm and rap only has a rhythm it, it was i can't a- believe you went over to ben shapiro's house <laughs> <laughs> this kid is probably not far off from, from ben shapiro now um geez it was i just i had never seen anything so ignorant in my life um i left very soon after i read that I feel I feel very very lucky that my dad made it a point to to make sure I knew my shit about rap and hip hop. That was just kind of like the general language that all the kids I grew up around spoke. Even even then, you know, the like school administrators hated rap so much. Like if mm-hmm. you had sagging pants, you got like in school suspension the first time and then like expelled for sagging oh that is some racist ass shit like straight straight, like not not even like attempting to hide like the racism expelling you for sagging pants and they'd go so far as to have presentations where they were like if you have sagging pants it means that in prison you're someone's bitch like whoa yes yes whoa (laughs) see yeah, I, like I told you, all, my school district was very mixed. So, like, I've heard about this kind of, like, crazy shit in, like, white schools. That is some, like, shit. Wow. And that that's the that's the fucked up thing, because my school was extremely mixed. Like, And they're still doing that shit? Yes, it was ma- majority black and Latino, and there was a very large uh, Asian population, too. And it, it was just, like, stereotype city like i think in reaction to that i wish y'all could see my face my mouth is just like gasping open right now yeah like i can't believe that holy shit getting back into it i guess outside of diy a lot of communities are you know organizing faster than ever to to combat like the racial injustice that's happening and i guess does diy need some sort of leadership or a handful of people to look up to do you think that's going to help progress in any way i i don't know i don't really have any like heroes or idols i think people are just kind of can all be flawed and um but i recognize the importance of like a figurehead um for a lot of people to rally behind um honestly what can diy do i don't know if they can do too much um Honestly, um, just besides try to just be more just be more mindful of what they're saying, of who they're including, 
of the opportunities that are being given. And it's not just bands, you know, like it's, it's, it's the, it's the higher, it's the, it's the labels. It's the, it's the, the PR people. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you know, we can get into the dirty side of like this industry and just how expensive fucking PR is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. yeah. And people don't want to admit it. And like a lot of, a lot of people's favorite bands and the ones you see get talked about have paid, you know, seven plus thousand dollars for, for all of these, all of these articles to be written about them. Um, and that is definitely a hindrance to like people who don't come from a background where they can afford for that kind of stuff. And if they're not on a label, that's going to pay them for that. Like how are they supposed to get more, more coverage, you know? Um, so really the labels need to take a chance and maybe sometimes not always think about like their bottom line or if they had a good year and I've seen some of these labels, like they're definitely doing very well. Um, could it take a chance maybe on it on like someone they normally wouldn't sign and like give them a good PR campaign, give them like, you know, and get, get them some good elevation, you know? And I think, I think another facet of the problem is that DIY really like thinks of itself in like a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of way as subculture. And, um, because of that, I think there's a, a lot of limited interaction with like community organizing, grassroots organizing, like on a local level that's not like directly attached to the music scene. And I think there needs right. to be a lot more integration with that, mm -hmm. especially because, you know, the the scene like emo and, and hardcore, et cetera, like it spits out these extremely charismatic front people all the time, just constantly. Mm -hmm. And if if some of those people um, are attached to local political efforts as well as the DIY scene and they manage to meld the infrastructures, I think that you can actually get like a really a, like a lot of positive stuff done. I agree 100% with that. Yeah, I mean, like, for example, like Hate Five Six was doing a lot of protest coverage and that's like directly taking someone who films concerts and now filming protests and stuff yeah. like that that's like a good example of that but yeah like i i i kind of formed this question around like yeah there are like it's weird because like the leadership is kind of like these labels and stuff and like yeah labels should be taking chances on uh non-white artists and stuff like that i think that's like the most proof that like things could progress and it's also you know black black people and other people of color the starting labels the only labels yeah uh, you know i mean got like and like um you know smaller diy labels and stuff like you know we don't have as much money and like i haven't i haven't done you know i'm gonna be doing i'm gonna just starting maybe to be doing pr and stuff for our artists um next year um so a lot of these smaller ones can only do so much i really am like it's the bigger labels that really need to step up, honestly. Um, and not in the way the label that shall not be named tried to do it. Because this is America, it's capitalism, money, money, money speaks still, uh, as much as I fucking hate it. Um, that's how we can make real serious change. And if you could see, you know, it's, it's, it's about reaching out to the kids. Like, oh God, if there could have been, if I would have been seeing more black people in the alternative music on alternative press, you know, for instance, when I was 15, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been a self-conscious when I was really younger. Yeah. You know, hopefully that'll change with, uh, when 
you know, we said the same thing that like when our generation's older, we're not going to be like that, like like the boomers. The anyway. the, sh- the shit runs on autopilot. It's yeah. just yeah designed to chew you up and spit you out like towing the party lines. Can y'all can y'all excuse me for like two minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I mean, like, I don't care about sports, but I think it's so amazing that like the Bucks yes. just like said we're not gonna play. And then, uh, fucking the baseball league also yeah. was like, yeah, we're we're out if you're gonna if you're gonna be doing this shit. I and there's like a lot of people I've seen like in my hyper left circles who are like, oh, this is just corporations like faking um, investment. This is all performative. But, but like the thing that, about that, that that but that's literally not what happened with the NBA. Like the, yeah, like the, like the, the fucking the, players. Yeah, no one are, no one knew that was gonna happen. There was an interview with a football player, and unfortunately, I forget his name. Um, but on Chapo Trap House, um, who was talking about, you know, people who play on sports teams, they are workers. Um, who are getting exploited by the owners just as much as. Hey y'all, sorry. Hey, what's up? I'm sorry, y'all. I had to handle my dog real quick. Oh, you're good. We were talking about uh, how fucking cool it is that the NBA and the baseball league are like striking in solidarity. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually like ranting this morning to Diane. I was like, "This is some shit." Like, <laughs> I th- this is this is really gonna. I really think hopefully this will make some people. Some pe- more people listen because I never thought I'd see the day. It's really big, especially because I was just telling Kyle, I've seen like some like left or wing them thou type people being like, oh, this is just a corporate controlled, like superficial oh, protest. But the, the, the people who are playing these sports are fucking workers. Yes. Like mm-hmm. they're they're being exploited by the owners um, every day. And, yeah. And. You know, there, 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 there's been some efforts to make like the the way that business is conducted in sports more democratic. But this is like the biggest showing of mass solidarity that I've ever seen in sports in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's just like think about like how much money the the players make, and if they're making that much money, how much how much are these owners making? Like how much money? Like if we if they can stop them from making money. And like, and the owners need them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, the workers always need, always. Like, this is like, if I talk about my job, like, every time I try to bring unions and like, fucking people want to be like, oh, fuck unions, you keep bad people on, and it's just like, oh my gosh, like every place, like every hotel that's a union that I've seen, it's just like, way better. <laughs> like. The employees are happier. Like you're, you're not stuck doing a bunch of more bullshit. Like your management can't just do whatever the hell they want to you. Like, like me working seven days in a row because it's split between two. Oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah, I'm going on. I'm going off. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all good. It's the, the real like, shit. The, wor- the worker is the most important like person like in this whole fucking system. And like, the sooner everyone realizes that, like, the sooner we can make some change. Because fuck them all. They need us. We don't need them something that happened to me right before I moved up here um, is there was this dude on Facebook uh, who I was like, I don't, I don't know this person's name. I don't recognize it. Why am I friends with this person? And he posted like some blue lives matter shit. And um, I, I just commented blue lives don't exist. And 
he said, clearly we have a difference of opinion on this subject, neighbor. And it turned out he lived lived across the street, or it's not across the street, across the hall from me. Um, oh my gosh! And and he was like, I hope this doesn't change uh, the way that I interact with you when I see you around. Uh, so like the two weeks before we moved, it was, I, <laughs> it was a lot of like figuring out when to leave the house and always keeping the, the doors locked and the patio locked. It was fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Fuck all that shit. I don't got no time. I've never been treated well by the cops, uh, especially in New Jersey. Um, and then I got arrested for a joint, and they let my white friend go. Good God! And then, yeah, and then they're like they're looking at me, and they're like, "What are you? What are you Mexican?" And I was like, "Uh, no." What? And, like, and then they go, what, "What are you then?" And I was like, "I'm, I'm black man. I'm black man." And he's like, oh, "Black, got it." Like. That that shit was terrible. And then they made me take a fucking mugshot, and then like I had to, they were made. I had like plugs in at the time, and I couldn't get one of them unscrewed. And they were like making me take it out. And I like ripped my ear uh, during this process, which is not honestly. Now that I'm saying this story, I don't even want to say it anymore because it's not. People are getting shot out here. I just had my ear ripped. It's fine. Um, but but it's still fucking despicable. Yeah. And, I mean, just, no one I know has had good interactions with the police. My brother. Um, got arrested for a fucking like blunt in New York. Some cop thought he was smoking in the cell, the holding cell, and beat the shit out of him. Like literally beat the shit out of him. And he had to go pick it up. It was terrible, man. Like fuck the cop. Fuck if, if I have any like messes I could say from this shit, it's like fuck the police. Um, they're not here to help you. Yes. They will never be here to help you. They only cause like trouble. They're not. They're not your fucking friends. There and there's like this like pernicious streak of frat boy who is increasingly becoming less common in emo but is still like definitely a presence and just so fucking sick of hearing the it's a couple bad apples rhetoric at this point how could you say that like are they not paying attention to what's happening around them like if it was just a couple bad apples why are we seeing like police and like militarized gear giving the okay to, like, right-wing arm militias to, like, shoot people. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, you know, and what's, you know what's so sad about this whole thing? Not sad, but, like, I remember, like, right after Trump got elected, I was in Idlewild with my friend, and we were, on, we were on acid. And we were talking about this whole thing, and he said to me, said to me, Greg, man, I'm really, like, afraid. Like, I just, I really feel like in a couple years we're going to be seeing people walking down the street with guns. Here we are. Fuck. I, I, I can't, I, I, I thought at the time, you know, I was, ah, oh, he's being a little hyperbolic like this. I, I feel like, but here we are. And in me, I've always been, I've always been anti-gun my whole life. I have started thinking about getting a gun. They're uh, out there and they've been preparing. Yeah. You know? And they have been. Right. And, but I don't want to get on here and be like, everyone strap. But I don't know if you're a person calling them, you should strap up. Obviously, like I'm not comparing my experience to experience of a, of a person of color because um, this is much less severe than a lot of shit that happened in the immediate aftermath of Trump's election. But I do remember like the day after it happened, I was getting gas near my school and at the time um, I, I was like semi-involved with like a Jewish fraternity because I was just spiraling and like looking for like some group to latch onto and I give you a response. <laughs> yeah, uh, they give you a they give you like a pin, 
that has you know the Greek letters on it, and you gotta wear it everywhere you go. And this dude with the Trump sticker on his truck, who saw me while I was getting gas, saw the pen, must have recognized that it was the Jewish fraternity. It's like fucking kike and just shoved me up against the gas pumps. Jeez. What day the after. Fuck? I mean, it's just is just what happens um, anytime there's conflict like this uh, and the, the right-wing militias come out and they immediately embolden other fucking crazy-ass right-wingers. And a lot of times they're, you know, teenage white boys with lots of unaddressed mental health problems who get dragged into this, like, you know, because they have low self-esteem and they just want to find somewhere to belong and they get fucking intoxicated with this rhetoric they are told that they're actually the victim and look at all this white privilege like all this white privilege talk do you feel privileged they fall for it and then you get this fucking motherfucker in kenosha and mm-hmm. fucking I, dylan uh, roof it just it, it's it's an it's endemic it's 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 a huge fucking problem like specifically in in the teenager set and i wish that there was more happening in schools to prevent that sort of radicalization yeah yeah people don't who don't really have much going for them can tend to gravitate towards that kind of shit it's cult-like yeah it makes it makes you feel good and makes you feel fucking miserable just so they can like build you up and automatically they're your savior again and it's like just getting just getting called any kind of racial stuff. This is always a terrible feeling. Um, like we played a my old like that pop pop band. I was called was called Barbora. If anyone's interested, it's on YouTube somewhere. Um, we played this New Year's Eve show, like house show, uh, that our friend like, oh, my, I'm booking you guys for this. Well, okay, cool. Um, we after we played, the owner of the house was up to us and I was like what did you go and I'm gonna I'm gonna say the words I'm not gonna censor myself because I want people to know like what we were called by this boy he's he asked why did you invite this faggot emo nigger band Fuck. over to our house that was the sketchiest show I've ever played in my life y'all and I don't know if any other black man maybe they can hit me up with some of their experiences that were like that played like a show where everyone like people are racist and it's like super weird and like you can't wait to leave and uh it's cool though um we got those people evicted so <laughs> oh shit yeah. Word. my brother got his car stuck in their yard like he parked in their yard and uh it was like kind of muddy and he couldn't get it out so he kind of like ruined their yard and then <laughs> kind of kicked them out so yeah fuck them <laughs> This is kind of like a heady question, but like I don't understand how we got to a point where like people weren't afraid to be racist, right? Like I don't understand how someone could have such like hateful beliefs and think that there are no consequences for it too. I mean, so, I think I think we all know instinctively that people have always felt this way, yeah. like just the mask is coming off. I think I think what happened 100% and it just like trickle there was like a trickle down effect um was fucking Fox News during the Obama administration yeah. and all their race baiting. Yes. Yeah. That really um that and Facebook. Yeah, and and they right. they 
gave themselves these vague outs of plausible deniability um, for their for their dog whistles, and the dog whistles are getting louder, and now the dogs are fucking deaf. It's it's mask off. Yeah. And it's also like a refusal to call out family members. People yeah. People be like, oh my, uh, like so and so, like they lost one, but like you know that's still my you know you know mom, dad, uncle, so and so. I'm like, man. I thought racism should be a deal breaker to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of these beliefs are happening because the people they surround themselves with don't call them out for it. Um, yeah. I think a lot of us, especially like, you know, a lot of us who are leftists and well, looking up to be in like groups who we will get called out if we say something stupid or like you know, shitty and, or maybe aren't thinking correctly. But a lot of them just feel emboldened because like, just like, fuck yeah, you're right, man. Like, it is them. And like the mask, oh yeah, the mask comes off and like, you know, I was, I was friends with lots of people growing up and then like we've gotten older and like they're saying these wild things like, you know, fuck affirmative action, you know, and like, and it's like, who were these, were these people ever your friend, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. Do, do either of y'all have family that you don't talk to anymore because of this shit? If you don't want to answer that stuff. No, no, during the Mike Brown thing. Um, I had a cousin who was saying some really ignorant things. He was um, biracial. And I did stop talking to them for a while. They have since changed their mind yeah. about what they were saying and are fully in support now of fucking fuck the police. Um, I'm not friends with a lot of my cousins on the internet. And like I know for a fact they're like back the badge motherfuckers. So I'm glad I'm not able to see what they're saying now but uh i like really don't want to ever go back to like a family gathering with them because i know this conversation would somehow come up yeah yeah, yeah no nah, that uh it's best not not to be there especially you're going to be surrounded um you got to stay safe so this was really a great primer for the next topic because i like talking about how i think i mean i've I want to say 97% of DIY is probably anti-cop. There might be 3% that are like have cop fathers or something like that. Um, but should DIY learn and take the next step to be like more anti-authoritarian, maybe anarchist, maybe Marxist, all this other stuff that like, do you think that's the next best step for DIY? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like uh obviously like this shit's not working i mean you should all uh i you should always question me every time i say this phrase i always just feel like an angsty little like kid but you should always question authority i just think back to that degrassi episode where alex is running and she writes authority sucks like on the wall (laughs) oh my gosh um but i mean like you have to and even like I mean, I guess they're like baby trying to do it now, right? Like, oh, the hierarchy, right? Which I still don't really know what that whole thing was about. Um, it was about boredom. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm told for that. So I don't know what the fuck was going I mean, on. Like, like, I, I, I think this question stems from like Twitter's basic, like DIY Twitter is basically turned into Mad Libs where people say socialism, society, anti-capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, Twitter is not the way to learn this shit. 
No but, way. But that's what where did, uh, the kids are learning it. What did For Your Health tweet? Uh, this this world will be a much better place when kids with the Prince Daddy Rocket in their bios learn what capitalism means. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like, it's these kids who think that they are socialists because what they grew up with was that anything left of fucking Bill Clinton is socialism. And uh, so they're like, they're now seeing like all, all this like genuinely left of center rhetoric about workers' rights and the abolition of police and universal health care. And they're like, well, I'm for these things because they seem like fucking common sense, but they still are weighed down by the default liberal mindset. It's, it's a lack of class consciousness is what it is. Yeah. That's the key to pushing them over into the other side because I can tweet read Lenin libs all fucking day. And sometimes I do, but it's not, it's not going to get through un- until they have like an experience that makes the horrors of capitalism close to home. And that's a lot harder in a scene uh, whose class dynamics are almost overwhelmingly very comfortable. I mean, we could be real. It's really hard to like feel that way when you're living at like, your parents' house rent-free uh, and having all your bills taken care of. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just changes then, when, you're, like, and, when you're like homeless. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get a real clear perspective when, uh, you know, for example, when you're working at a hospital, like I didn't have no health insurance. And then you get injured. And yeah. then what? You're in medical debt now because... You work at a hospital and have no health insurance. Yeah. yeah. And then the fucking flip side of it is, is again, the same kids who live in very comfortable lives and like they're empathetic towards quote unquote the struggle, but they have no frame of reference for it. Right. Uh, they pick up on the leftist rhetoric and then they do shit like <laughs> Gulch, you're capitalist because <laughs> you put out oh, multiple colored my God. <laughs> That was the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen on Twitter. I'm glad like, I missed this. We're in a fucking capitalist system. How else are you supposed to survive yeah. unless you participate in it? I mean, what? We're like calling bands out for putting records out? Is that what we're really doing? Like, and like putting merch out? Like, I don't understand. That was just super weird. That, that, that person had like, they were projecting some weird like, streetwear hate type thing on them that was super yeah yeah Um, their issue was with something i don't know what that was like that kind of stuff like actually fascinates me because like i when i saw that i was like all right do people who wear like like kind of like streetwear kids they make fun of this kid or something does does he hate them and he sees like a band do it it's like no this is my world like what are you doing like you can't be doing that i don't know as if hardcore hasn't had like a strong relationship with streetwear since the fucking late eighties. Exactly right, like Jesus. The, anyway. like, okay, okay, so like DIY is like trying to act like they're more radical than they are, but really they're just like um a tiny bit. Yeah, they're a tiny they're fucking cosplaying. Yeah, when yeah. like really DIY is just like a tiny bit more, like two percent more radical than like the actual music in- industry is. And, like, I think that's just kind of really ironic. Well, you know, like you said, a lot of people are, like, it's like, it's like they're tweeting Mad Libs. And I, I joke about this a lot. It's like, you know, and, you know, all these kids, they'll be, you know, 
they'll be 40 at one point and like just living at their house, their family, and they're going to forget about all this, like, you know, this stuff when they have their comfortable job and like, and you can see, you can see that they're not about it. Like whenever I say something critical of Biden, the kid with the BLM ACAB Twitter bio immediately comes in with, uh, the fucking, well, he's not, he's not as bad as he could be. You know, like you gotta, you gotta go with the lesser evil harm reduction option. Um, and we're just going to have, we're just going to have to try harder and nominate a more progressive Democrat in 2024 as if fucking Biden wins that we're not getting fucking Tom Cotton in, as president in 2024. <laughs> oh my gosh. Harm reduction. Can we talk about people trying to use buzzwords to like get you to like try to agree with their bullshit? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like for instance, I was using an example, I'm not going to name any names or anything, but like a certain person of a certain place, let's say like you're being a piece of crap at your job, right? And it's like making life hell for everybody. And then like you use the phrase like you're not like, you know, you're coming maybe about like respecting people's like views and like you could be like, I'm not, you're not respecting my view when really you're just being a piece of shit, you know, or something like that's a bad example. <laughs> um, well, well, Greg, I actually am going to disagree with you on that. Um, and so I will say that you're gaslighting me <laughs> by disagreeing with me. Well, you know, I need to reexamine myself then because you, you use that word. So automatically I, I, I must be wrong. Yeah, you pop out the 2013 uh, Tumblr thesaurus of things that make you sound smart. <laughs> and anyone you come across is going to have to self-crit. You're, you're unstoppable. Unstoppable! Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're kind of getting to the wrap-up point. Um, I, I, I guess before we get into that, like, do you think DIY has done a good job since the protests to like try and integrate more change? You know, I don't want to be a completely negative person. I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. Uh, I've noticed, you know, a big push. Like we talked about earlier, that's just tokenism. Are people going to forget about this next? Or, you know, when Corona's over, are people going to forget about this shit? You know, are we going to be pushed again? Like that's, we're going to, we're going to have to find out. But I do appreciate um, the visibility of it. Just like, and like people just really talking about it. It's been really cool. Yeah. What about you, Ali? What, what, what have you observed? Um, I've, I've observed a mixed bag. Um, I do think that a, a lot of kids uh, have like this resolution to walk the walk um, and like the the amount of people I've seen who went to protests and or contributed to bail funds, um, et cetera, et cetera, is, you know, really heartening. And I think uh, broadly, though, that the hardcore scene has done a bit of a better job. Uh, at, at responding to all this mayhem than what we'd refer to as the the quote-unquote DIY scene. Um, th this is getting a little off track, but I, I think that hardcore comes from generally more of a hard scrabble place, like economically. Um, oh, true. Yeah, and so the, sh the shit is a little bit more real and hits closer to home for a lot of hardcore bands. But... I think kind of combining this topic with a little bit of should DIY be more anti-authoritarian 
it's it's weird to me just in that it it feels like this has always been the implicit message of DIY and we shouldn't have had to make it explicit like it seems like so obvious that you should be skeptical of capitalism and uh, recognize like that that infrastructure feeds on white supremacy they're completely intermingled strict like specifically because DIY is about trying to build a different world as I've said like yeah. so many millions of times yes which is like you know what when I've been talking to other artists and what we're kind of been like talking about it's like hey we're just like you know me and Miles have said that multiple times like when talking about that label we shall not name like you don't need like fuck those people like you don't need that shit we can that's the whole point of DIY we can do it ourselves and you can make noise maybe and you can make it as big as you want and you can get the support and you don't need like all that. I think that's why, like this, what what we know as emo's version of DIY is so. I, that's why I hate that's called DIY because, like, DIY be, before this meant like punk bands that would play in squats that like and like just completely exist off of off of the map of like what we know as quote unquote society. Like they 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 are completely separate from. And, and it's kind of like utopian but like yeah. this DIY is definitely just like oh just like a photocopy of capitalism and shit like that it's it is a microcosm it's cause like yeah. you know when I think of it, like you know, we have our own zines we have our own like things like but like you know bands want their PR agents and they want their you know they want to make you know they want to like it's weird right but Personally, what I'm seeing is like DIY has had a good response. It's it just worries me that like bands are just saying all the right things because they're expected to right now. And yeah. my final topic here is how do we make this change like sustain and make sure that we don't regress back to the laziness that we accepted before it. I most people, you know, what's the worst part about humanity? A lot of people respond to shame. <laughs> yeah 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 uh, that's a very big way to hold people accountable <laughs> um not necessarily is the best way or the nicest way or sometimes the most ethical way but you can't it's just it'll people will just go back into their lazy routines if you're not you know we could be like yeah let's look like rent more and then like you know four months later it's like someone booked a bill and it's just like the same thing again and you're like hey what happened yeah thought we were like thought we were doing that like it could be very easy to brush off so people just have to be told they're like their people more accountable yeah um will they do it i don't time know we'll we, tell we've seen history <laughs> find um, out next time on dragon ball z exactly. <laughs> oh my god dragon Yo, ball have, e. you all, have you all ever seen like the original dub of dragon ball z <laughs> No. Like, so, like, I saw the other day, like, apparently in, like, 93, um, like, some, like, animation company in the Philippines did, like, a dub of it. And it is ridiculous. Uh, Piccolo has, like, a very screechy voice. <laughs> and it's just really bad. I highly recommend it if you have some time. Yeah, I, like, I think it would be nice to see, like, so we don't have to hold like the industry accountable is like it'd be nice to see if like there were people of color calling the shots yeah that that is uh another thing we would love to see 
you know, like I I would love to see how many booking agents are not white dudes. Very it's, true. It's probably like three, three of like the three hundred booking agents that there unfortunately only are. But yeah, yeah, you're right. That uh, that that would also help in like booking safer places to play. Um, yeah, yeah. There's nothing like showing up to a show to play and like the, the the woman running sound has a giant wooden cross around her neck and you're wearing a crop top and like your whole band is very gay. <laughs> <laughs> she turned our amp down to one, like literally turned it down to one and said we were Holy two up while everyone in the crowd was like, we can't hear you. We had to play for an hour and a half. Uh, Rap fans does not have an hour and a half material. So uh, me and the drummer uh, ended up doing some like solo stuff. I remember at some point I was literally up there just strumming chords and singing, I'm only up here because I'm contractually obligated to be. (laughs) It was by far the worst show I've ever experienced and the worst sound person I've ever witnessed in my life. Uh, Lianca it's horrible. I will say her name because that was literally the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. I also think she was a racist. So, yeah. <laughs> Greg, yeah. I'm so sorry you've gone through all this stuff. Like you have shared so many terrible stories. I'm so sorry. I mean, that's just, you know, that's the experience. I think, I think most of my other like people call me playing bands will have very similar experiences. Um, I was going to say, imagine like all of the stories. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sure I'm getting called the underworlds, getting called it on our, our MySpace, like getting, yeah, Bianca. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, it is. It, I hate saying it is what it is, but it is what it is, and uh, it's cool. It's not cool, and we will, we will. Uh, we're so used to saying it's cool, like right? It's yeah. terrible. Um, but shout out to like all my bandmates over the years who have never put up with that shit. And have stood in our, you know, stood behind me um, when that shit was happening. They didn't. No, absolutely not. Um, so, yeah, not everyone's like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like terrible. Like literally, I got a show. Like our fans are like fighting people because like they're getting like racist. What? How did how did that show start? I we were playing this show, and I made a joke about New Jersey. All right, like sue me. <laughs> Fuck, I'm from Philly, like, sue me. I made a joke about Jersey, right? And these kids in the audience just started, like, booing and, like, pointing at their tattoos of Jersey on them and calling me a fag. And started, like, pushing around the people who were there to see us because, like, they were getting pissed that they were doing this stuff. And I'm like, the videos on YouTube, it's wild. Like, you can see it happening, like, in the crowd. And they eventually got kicked out of the show. I get home, and all over our MySpace is just written like, fuck you and your fucking new guitarist, blah, blah, blah. You should have came and fought us. Like, you pussy ass, blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, like this is wild. Like, I didn't play, I didn't want to play in a band so I get called a nigger, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely not. Like, I will continue to play bands because. They're gonna see. They're gonna see this this person on stage. You know. Mm-hmm. I hope they get used to it because 
shit is gonna change. Hopefully. That that shit's fucking despicable. Holy. It is. It is. This is a. It's the reality of the situation. It's gonna happen, but uh, just we just gotta keep supporting each other. Yeah. And exiling those people away, like, like straight up violent racism and stuff like that, and like violent homophobia is like not at all acceptable. I don't know if there's retribution from that, especially depending on your age. Um, I don't know why we have to like why people have to learn not to be like a piece of shit, you know? When it comes to that that kind of stuff, like. You know, people can learn from making off-color jokes or maybe, like, not being the most sensitive person. But, like, racial slurs and stuff like that is, like, to me, unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And shouldn't have to be taught that. We know that. We are all growing up, like, taught that. But maybe we weren't. I don't know. Were we all not? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people who grew up just, like, hearing that shit bandied about. Like, it was normal. Just, like, a normal way to talk to, about people. Um uh, also, I just remembered, like, if I can find the video, I'll try and I'll try and put it in the Google Doc that we're including with this episode. But the the the, the video of the white kid who has a black friend and his dad is calling his friend the N word, and the kid is like, "If you call my friend the N word one more time, I'm gonna knock you the fuck out." Yeah. And dad did it again, and the kid just fucking knocked his lights wow. out with one hit. That was such a good video. Yeah. I loved it so much. I mean, that's, that's the, see, that's the kind of solidarity I'm talking about. Like, when I mean call your family member, that kid punched his fucking dad. I mean, big ups to that kid, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, that kid took a risk right there. Who knows what happened after that, you know? I think in the video he's wearing, like, an ankle bracelet. I think he was on house arrest, so I, I worry what the consequences were. Well, yeah. But... But yeah, that was that was a good video though. Like, you know, I'm not saying you need to like punch your family members in the face. <laughs> you know, assault is illegal, and like you can't go to jail for that. Um, you don't want to go to jail, believe me. But you know, you could say, "Hey, that shit's fucked up. You shouldn't say shit like that." Yeah, it would be nice if, like we talked about earlier, people were afraid to be racist or at least vocalize their racism. Yeah, right? Like, I just, like, I don't know. I thought people were afraid to say that shit. I guess not. Well, do we have any parting thoughts? Um, if you're a white Zoomer kid and you're into DIY and you have friends who are people of color, um, talk about DIY with them. Don't like, cause I, I've seen, I've seen this, like I, I've seen it like in like my little brother's friends, like don't feel like the only thing that you can talk to your friends who are black about is, is quote unquote black stuff like hip hop and whatever. Yeah. Like, we need, we need more cross pollination Hell yeah. and we need, uh, we need, people to feel like it's it's safe if they come to shows and safe if they participate and um i think that's probably the the very first and easiest step in trying to make diy a more equitable place yeah also to bounce off that um stop i, w- I would also appreciate it when people stop always talking about like that kind of stuff to your, your black friend sometimes i just want to be at the show and like listen to the tunes and like 
you know, there's a lot of trauma involved and a lot of shit. And sometimes I don't want to talk about it 24 fucking seven, you know, yeah. um, especially when I'm at a show, especially if you're like a stranger or like, I don't know. I, we played a festival in Georgia and there was this, this, this guy there. And, um, anytime there was, a, uh, this artist was playing and anytime she would talk about like, you know, like issues, um, he would come up to me like, yeah, man, right. Like she's right. Like blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. Like, do you want me to give you a cookie or something? Like, and it felt <laughs> he, did, he did it a lot throughout that evening. And, um, it was very othering. And I'm like, very performative. Yeah. yeah. It, th- that's the word. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's more of the word. Um, well, it was very I mean, uncom- it's, it's uncom- other too, for sure. It may be very uncomfortable. We kind of let, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Just be a little sensitive towards people's feelings and like time and place. And I mean, on that subject, we really appreciate you coming on to have this discussion with us, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, 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 I'm glad to talk about it. Um, I haven't really talked about it um, based on like a platform like this, but I, I, I do want to say, um, you know, I am not the most oppressed person in the world. I do come from a middle class background that did afford me some some kind of privileges, and there are people out there who have experienced way worse than I have. I mean. I, I just think it's 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 important. Like one of the, one of the main reasons I think we wanted to do this episode is, uh, I think that right now in the scene there's a lot of white kids telling white kids about racial injustice, and yeah. I think it's important to have a perspective of of someone who has authentic lived experiences that they can actually convey and mm-hmm. you know, maybe just humanize what's happening. A little bit more, but we really appreciate you coming on. This, uh, yeah, of course, you've been a good, great uh, guest. That's not to say like I, playing and music has been my my love. I love it so much. I wouldn't do it if you know if I was so upset about all this all the time. You know what I mean? I don't want to sound like I'm like fuck DIY, fuck all these kids. Like you know, um, it's not like that. Um, it's been very been, been mostly a positive thing in my life. Um, Racism will happen to you no matter where you, you go in your life. If you're a person of color, it'll be in the workplace. Um, it could be in school. It could be in your hobbies. Um, so that, that's all I want to leave that with. Yeah. All right. Well, Greg, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, um, I know there's probably a lot of emotional labor that goes into talking about this stuff. So thank you for sharing all that with us. Um, SolidarityClubRecords.com, you know pick up some stuff, pay it forward. Yeah. Got well, some stuff coming out. So hell yeah. Been on out. It's going to be a busy end of the year. Tight. And we so, have a more fun episode, I guess, coming up soon. Uh, I mean, it, maybe it'll be more fun. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Basically we, we, we got through uh, part one of the shit that's happened since we shut up. Yeah. But, um, yeah again thank you greg for coming on uh solidarity um with everyone who's protesting right now solidarity with uh anyone who's affected by what's going on in kenosha um and elsewhere and uh we're gonna include a a google doc of uh anti-racist resources with this episode so um we're just 
we're just trying to do our best. You know, me and Kyle are just fucking two people with a podcast, and uh, what what we can do with uh, with our perspective and and platform isn't isn't much, but hopefully it'll help somebody. Beautiful.